come. But I, I think it's probably like it's too easy to do in the absence of information. We jump to the worst conclusions. And I, and I just, I, I am amazed at just uh, postings on Facebook. All of a sudden people like jump to the, the worst conclusions about what you've posted. And uh, it's like, good gracious I posted something in, in a, you know, a topic that I'm interested in. This lady just interpret everything to the worst. I said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. So um, whether it's about our faith or whether it's about the news, especially as we move towards another election year, man, during election years, it just seems all of a sudden we just start jumping to all kinds of con- conclusions way too easily. And I, I just thought, I, I found what I thought was like probably one of the best uh, examples of, you know, you get, you, we, we, we just really probably don't want to jump to conclusions too quickly. So enjoy a short video. Easy to jump to conclusions. In our story with, with Paul, th- it is one Jumping to conclusions after jumping to conclusions after jumping to conclusions, all just compressed. And some of them we've seen, and we're going to look at another one today. But, you know, it, jumping to conclusions is not just something of our day. I mean, it, it happened in Paul's day as well. So we started with uh, some God-fearing Jews that were following Jesus. Uh, they jumped to the conclusion that when Paul was out in the Gentile world that he began to go light on Moses. So they, they assume, jump to the conclusion, Paul is out there and he's telling the Jews in the diaspora across Asia Minor, they don't need to circumcise their kids anymore and they don't have to follow the traditions of Moses. That, they jump to that conclusion. And then when Paul arrived in Jerusalem and as a good Jew that he still was. He uh, took part in a rite of purification. And uh, some Jews that were visiting during Pentecost, one of the pilgrimage feasts, they jumped to the conclusion that Paul had taken a Gentile, Trophimus, into the temple. They just, again, jumped to the conclusion. And so they grabbed him and they began to beat him as they dragged him out of the temple. They jumped to the wrong conclusion. And in the midst of a city now that is in this uproar, the Roman tribunal, so he would have been uh, in charge of around 600 Roman soldiers, and they, they really were positioned right there at the Temple Mount. They, were, they, they understood uh, the importance of the temple in the life of Israel uh, their fortress was right on the wall. And so they knew that this was breaking out. And so this Roman tribunal comes to break up uh, the riot with Paul right in the middle being beat with a crowd shouting, kill him, kill him. And he just, he just jumped to the wrong conclusion that Paul was an Egyptian rebel that had shown up three years prior to this. And he just assumed that's who Paul was. He just jumped to the wrong conclusion. And as this rioting crowd in Jerusalem uh, follows Paul being taken back into the Roman fortress, Paul asks if he can speak. 
And one of the things that I think is going through his mind is, you know, I want to speak to this crowd of people. And as they quiet down and he begins to speak in Aramaic, which was the language of the day, he still, I wonder, are they going to jump to the wrong conclusions about who I am? But even more importantly, I think what, what Luke is trying to communicate to us is that if you jump to the wrong conclusion about the messenger, you're probably going to jump to the wrong conclusion about the message. And what Luke really wants us to get, because it's again and again and again and again, it is the message of the kingdom of God arriving through the King Jesus and now being dispersed throughout the world. That's, that's what Luke wants us to get. So he is, again, he's, he's just kind of highlighting that by saying, man, it's easy to jump to conclusions. So here's our story for the day. Acts 21, 31 to Acts 22, 2. As they were trying to kill him. Now, again, you've got to put it in the context. These are religious Jews trying to kill Paul, a fellow Jew, who they have concluded has defiled the temple. And I, I, I mean, I would just like to put it to you. If your faith leads you to start killing people, something's off with the faith that's been revealed through the Creator to us. There's no place in the faith that comes from the Creator through the ages to us, to them, that says, kill somebody because they defiled something. I, I mean, I hope, do we, agree? I mean, I would, I would really hope we could like maybe start there as a place. So if you start thinking about killing people to protect your faith, something's wrong with your faith. Okay, just we could start there. So word came to the tribune of the guard, a riot. The whole city's boiling over. The whole city of Jerusalem. At a pilgrimage feast, it would have been around a million people. So the whole city is in an uproar. Paul is in the center of a riot on the streets of Jerusalem. So he acted, the Roman tribune, swiftly. His soldiers, the centurions, ran to the scene at once. So this is 600 soldiers are sent. At, as soon as the mob saw the tribune and his soldiers, they, they quit beating Paul. <laughs> the tribune came up. They put Paul under arrest. He first ordered him handcuffed and then asked who he was and what he had done. And all he got from the crowd were shouts, one yelling this, another that. It was impossible to tell one word from another in the crowd hysteria. So the captain ordered Paul taken to the, to the military barracks. So again, in this pandemonium, you know, you've got Paul. He's beaten in some way. Maybe he's trying to kind of mumble something about who he is, but the crowd is so loud and they're yelling different things that, again, this Roman official, he just jumps to a conclusion about who Paul is. He arrests him, takes him to the barracks. When he got to the temple steps, the mob became so violent that the soldiers had to carry Paul, and as they carried him away, the crowd followed shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Gee, does this feel a little out of control? I mean, and this is at the temple. 
Like this is at the place where it's, it's meant to be the residence of God on the earth. And a faith that comes out of the revelation of God himself to a people that's meant to bless people with life. And in the midst of that, people are saying, kill him, kill him. And when they got to the barracks and were about to go in, Paul said to the tribune, can I say something to you? Now, there's some humor in this. In the midst of the pandemonium and the tragedy of it, Paul speaks Greek. And, he, and Greek was the language of the educated of the day. And that caught the ear of this Roman tribune. Oh, I didn't know you spoke Greek. Well, you didn't ask me if I spoke Greek. You just jumped to the conclusion. I thought you were the Egyptian who not long ago started a riot here three years prior and then hid out in the desert with his 4,000 thugs. And they were 4,000 assassins. So again, these dagger, daggered hiding, you know, they had their like robes on and they hid daggers under them and they would sneak up and they would pull out a dagger and they'd get a Roman soldier. So that's, that's again, Paul, Paul, you're just part of this assassin group. No. Paul said, I'm a Jew. Notice that. I'm a Jew. Born in Tarsus. I'm a citizen still of that influential city. I have a simple request. Let me speak to the crowd. Standing on the barrack steps, Paul turned and held his hands up. A hush fell over the crowd as Paul began to speak. And he spoke in Aramaic. Again, that's the language of Israel at the time. My dear brothers, fathers, listen carefully to what I have to say to you before you jump to conclusions because everybody else in my life right now has been jumping to conclusions. Would you just listen to me first? When they listened, when they heard him speaking Aramaic, they grew even quieter. No one wanted to miss a word of this, and he continued. I am a Jew. And he'll say more next week when we read on. Jumping to conclusions about the messenger can lead to jumping to conclusions about the message. The message of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus is not a message of Christianity replacing Judaism. Did you notice when asked to identify himself, Paul did not say, I am a Christian. Now, he could have, but if he would have said that, what he would have meant was, I am a Jew who believes Jesus is the Messiah, our king, and I belong to the king. 
That's what Christian means. I belong to the King Messiah. And because Paul is right here at the temple, Paul has just finished a rite of purification. Paul is still doing what with his Judaism? He's still practicing his Judaism as one who now believes Jesus is both alive, resurrected from the dead, and Jesus is Messiah. So Paul, if you, if you would have asked Paul, are you starting a new religion? He would have said, no. This is the next part of the revelation that God started when he created the world. And right after the fall, and, and God committed himself, you know, I've got to do something to restore my creation to what I intend for it to be because there's this rebellion going on. And so throughout the ages, God has been revealing who he is. He's been inviting his people and his creation into relationship with him. Paul knew that, that Israel was part of that. But now with Jesus coming, there's something now new. Something better for Israel, something better for Gentiles. It's not a new religion. Matter of fact, we can look at this together. As I was looking at some of the words, I, I think, well, and I'll, I'll, I'll research it, you can too. I think Judaism is only used one time in the Bible. And so what I would like to maybe suggest to you is that God never, he never intended to institute religions on the earth. Religions are what we as human beings do in response to revelation that we receive. We receive revelation from God. We think, well, that's really good. That's really good. Now, God, let me organize that and put it into this practice that I'm going to now demand that everybody else does. And I would just like to suggest to you that that's probably what Judaism did and what it is and what Christianity has done. Rather than responding to the revelation of a God, he says, I want you to be in relationship with me. And this is how you do it. It's relationship over religion. There's not a new religion here. There's also not a new rebellion. This is not a message of militant rebellion against the Roman Empire. No, I'm not the Egyptian that leads a band of assassins. No, no, I'm not happy that the Roman Empire occupies the land of Israel. No, I'm not happy about that, but I'm not leading a violent, militant, zealot rebellion against Roman rule. I'm not going to say that Caesar is Lord. I mean, I'll ultimately give my life because Jesus is Lord. Caesar isn't. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. There is a dividing line. But no, I'm not, I'm not leading a rebellion. I'm also not uneducated. This is not a message for the uneducation. Religion was for the uneducated to explain why things they didn't, you know, explain things they don't understand. Religion is the opium of the people. See, when Paul speaks Greek, 
And when he says, I'm a Jew and I'm from Tarsus, again, we, we, we probably haven't ever stopped to think about what Tarsus was. So let me just tell you what Tarsus was in the ancient world. It is where the east met the west. You can't see all the details, but the city is here. This is a mountain range. West, east, river, pass through the mountains. That was the Roman highway. Tarsus was the Athens of the eastern Mediterranean. It's a university city. It was a resort for men of learning. It was the hometown of Athenodorus, who was the teacher of Augustus. It was the seat of a school of Stoic philosophers. It was a place of learning and disputation. The very climate in which a brilliant mind might grow up in midst of stimulus and challenge and learn to think and to contend, that's where Paul was raised. Highly educated. And not only highly educated, a citizen of the Roman Empire. It's also not just a message in the Aramaic language. This was not a Jews-only message. This was a message for all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles. And though Paul spoke in Aramaic, he also spoke Greek. It's a language for everybody. So jumping to conclusions back then, if we're not careful, we can begin to jump to conclusions now. So I would just like to say... My friends, just to reinforce, we don't represent a new religion. We represent the unfolding of a wonderful God who has made himself known through history, revelation after revelation after revelation, and we're part of the fulfillment of those revelations. We have been added to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel that believe Jesus is the Messiah and the Gentiles who believe that Jesus are the Messiah are the people now that are living in relationship with the God who's revealed himself. It's not a new religion. It's it's a new relationship. There's no new militant rebellion against the evil human empire. I mean, my goodness, gracious snakes alive. I mean, the only only conspiracy there is, is there is an evil one. And his conspiracy is to continue to fight to the end against the creator God. And that evil one can deceive us. And one of the things I think he is doing very well in our today is he's, he's raising the level of our fears so much to the point that we think we're going to have to join some sort of paramilitary group to defend ourselves. A friend and I were having coffee, and we were just talking about Jesus. And this guy next to us said, man, it's so great to hear you guys talking about Jesus. I was just at the NRA convention. It was like a revival. And both of us... We're just kind of thinking, wait a minute. 
Are we supposed to like pull out our guns now and, and like wave them? I mean, I don't know what to do here. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't understand how guns and faith in Jesus blend. I just don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't see, I don't see how it works. I mean, Jesus really told us, if you want to live by the sword, you will die by the sword. If you want to put that in our words, if you want to live by your gun, you will die by your gun. That's what Jesus has said. You want to fight? Then I'll give you the weapons that you can fight with, but they're not guns. Now, there is a place for the police. There is a place for the military. But when just ordinary people start celebrating, we get to carry now. I start getting nervous. I was working at a house and this irrigator just, you know, just went off about his right to carry. I said, great, I'm, I'm, I don't know you, so I'm really not feeling really safe that you have your pistol in your pickup. So, well, if you had a pistol, I'd feel safe. I said, you don't know me. Why would you, why would you conclude if I had a pistol, you'd be safe? That's crazy. That's insanity. As if a gun's going to keep us safe. We're not part of some sort of military organization that's going to rebel against the encroaching evil government of the United States. No. Also, we're not part of this new opium for the uneducated masses. We're thinkers. We're critical thinkers. We read. We listen to the news. We encourage each other to think deeply. We study the Bible hard because we, we want to understand the revelation. We've, 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 we're, just, we're just so grateful that God has made himself known and he's given us a text. And my friends, there's, there's no language that's superior to all the others. God doesn't just speak one language. Every nation... Every tribe, every language. God's speaking everybody's language. So what I'd like us to do in light of the message and what it's not, to come back to what Paul said it was. And I want to ask you to commit yourself to something. It might, you know, it might get us in a lot of trouble. I mean, it just seems that Paul gets in trouble a lot, doesn't it? Now, on the one hand, doesn't that sound kind of exciting? I mean, don't, I, I would guess that most of us at some point have said, ah, Sunday morning is really boring. Well, maybe we could liven things up a little bit. You know, like if there were riots and people getting beat up and... You know, maybe if we represented what the message is, that, that might happen. And wouldn't that be a little bit more exciting? Huh? Well, we can maybe tone it down a little bit. But this is what I love. This is something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I have voluntarily become a servant 
of a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings on Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I believe that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who serve the variety of people around us whether they be religious, whether they be unreligious, whether they be meticulous moralists or loose-living immoralists, whether they're defeated, whether they're demoralized, we are to serve. And in that service to them, enter into, not run away from, those relationships so that in that we can tell people about our King Jesus. And the difference he has made in our lives and the potential of difference that he can make in every single person that we're willing to enter into their world with. Would you like to join me in praying that prayer for us and in praying that prayer for us then maybe broadening it out and praying that prayer for the church in general around the world we got lots to do and there's a lot more to be done than the people sitting in this room right now we need lots of help And just as in Paul's day, people jump to conclusions about the messenger, therefore the message was distorted and missed the mark. We live in a day where the message of the good news of the kingdom is missing the mark. Not just by little, by big things. So would you stand with me? I can't force anybody in this room to become a servant. Paul says, I voluntarily became a servant to any and all. So I just ask you, would you just take a moment? And it's, it's not, I, I don't want it to be my invitation to us. You know, what's Jesus? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? My suspicion is he's saying, would you yield to me? I've placed people in your lives. Some of them are religious. Some of them are not religious. Some some of them are really moral. Some of them are really immoral. Some of them are really discouraged, downtrodden. Others are really prideful, boastful. 
And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us, would you yield to me and would you enter the world of the people around you? Would you do that? Are you willing to do that? Now that, your answer is between you and Jesus, but it's within a community of people that I would hope all of us say, yes, Lord. We voluntarily yield to become servants of any and all in order to reach a wide range of people with the good news of your kingdom. Lord, just as Amber and Katie and Shelby have entered into the way of life of the Orthodox Jewish community in the old city, now they're going to enter the way of life with the Palestinian Christian. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to enter into the way of life of others and that in that we would keep our bearings on Jesus. That we would become every sort of servant that is needed in order to lead our generation into a life that is saved by Almighty God. Make us a community of servants to our generation so that our generation enjoys the full revelation that you've brought to us through our King, through our Messiah, through our Savior, Jesus. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to serve our generation with your message, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. Appreciate our time together.